the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. I'm joined by Dr. Michael Oren former Israeli ambassador to the United States, former deputy minister, friend of our show. Let me begin, Dr. Warren, by giving you my condolences. I doubt there's anyone in Israel who has not lost or had kidnapped or wounded a friend or a family member. How goes it with you? Uh, I, you know, I'm part of that list. I'm part of that list, but so is my family and so is their friends. Um, it's a small country. You know, you know, proportionally speaking, it's something like 10 or 11 times uh, what America lost on 9-11. Um, yep. And they, I made that point two days ago. David Axelrod made it yesterday. It's not a partisan point. It would be as though America absorbed 25,000 dead in one, one day. I, I, the savagery of it, though, even 9-11, savage as it was, those were you know, eight, 19 fanatics. This is a thousand people came over the border, Michael. And pulling you know people out of their vans and shooting them, shooting entire families in their houses killing 260 kids at a, you know, rave musical concert, um, pictures that have circulated on Israeli TV. I don't know if they're making it onto American TV. Uh, young women stripped naked, being paraded through the streets of Gaza and spat upon by people and beaten. They had obviously been uh, raped. There is, I, I saw some of that this morning. We are going to be careful because we have kids in the car. But they've all been assaulted and abused. And they, a little six-year-old boy put in the circle of little young Gazan boys and beaten by them. It's proper. It's brainwashing. It's not brainwashing. Can you imagine, you know, you know, God willing, these people are rescued. What they will be like afterward. The, the, sheer, the, the physical, the psychological damage they have sustained. This is barbarism. This isn't, uh, this isn't even a class of civilizations. Okay? There's, there's no equal civilization here. The class between civilization and medieval barbarism. And, I agree. Uh, and, and Michael, I think everyone agrees, but they want to know. I know you're massing troops, you being Israel around Gaza. But today, the Wall Street Journal calls it the Iran-Gaza war. And there is a story which I find completely uh, persuasive that Iran called the shots here. What do you make of these reports? So I, I've been on you know, talking to you for the last couple of weeks. I think I've talked about my prediction about the coming war. And my prediction was that uh Iran sees opportunities. Iran sees that uh, Israel is weak and divided. It sees the United States uh, doesn't want a foreign entanglement. Uh, Iran is afraid of the return of Donald Trump. I think I mentioned that in this uh, program. Um, and uh, Iran is desperately afraid of Saudi nuclearization. He's afraid of the, uh, the, the Israeli-Saudi impending peace that will give Iran nuclear capability, give Saudi Arabia nuclear capabilities. He's desperately afraid of that. And they, the Iranians were looking for any excuse to destabilize the Middle East, to block that process. And it seemed to me by connecting the dots that it would either be Hezbollah or Hamas would start this war. Um, and it's happened. Uh, I cannot explain or excuse 
uh, our intelligence failure for not following up on this, because I wasn't the only one who was connecting the dots. Other people were connecting the dots as well. And, uh, but that is certainly, you know, in terms of interest, it's certainly Iranian interest. We have known for years that Iran has been providing not just financial aid and backing to, to Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Islamic Jihad is wholly owned and operated by Iran. But Iran also trains Hamas and Islamic Jihad terrorists. About 99% of the rockets they fire us at us are actually made in Iran. And the others, the rest of them, are made by Iranian-trained Palestinian engineers. So Iran is there. Iran is in our skies. Iran is crossing our borders. Now, I was asked on uh, Fox News last night, late, that, uh, you know, would Israel consider, you know, striking Iran? And uh, I said, well, first of all, I don't represent the Israeli government anymore, but I, I was very adamant in thinking, you know, don't, don't rule it out. Not oh, I, I agree. I I don't rule out Hezbollah. I mean, because preemptive attack to find the 1967 war and the 1956 war. But this is wor- they're worse, Michael. I, I, I don't know what's happened to the level of fanaticism, but I am so stunned by the descent into barbarism. I know 9-11 was barbaric. The, the mowing down of people in London, Madrid, all of the familiar atrocities over the last 22 years. Nothing like this in terms of the number of brainwashed uh, evil zombies who came over and killed for pleasure and and they just wanted to kill Jews and I can't un- can't have, that's Iran and then the Ayatollah Khamenei their quote supreme leader posted a video of people fleeing the music festival with glee of course of course but it's not just Iran's the Middle East in the last what is it now 12 years we have seen uh, how the Syrian regime massacred a half a million of its own citizens. It gassed them, it dismembered them, it tortured them. This is what you know Syrians are doing to Syrians. Is it any wonder that Hamas and Islamic Jihad are doing this to Jews? It's what they do to their own, their own people. Before uh, I talk sure about the military Israel. response, I do want to talk about the intel failure. It's not just Israel, though. It's the United States just gave $6 billion to Iran, uh, we've had some talking point warriors out there saying, oh, that $6 billion has nothing to do with it. How do you respond to people who say, never mind about that $6 billion that we gave to Iran two weeks ago? It didn't have anything to yeah, do well, with they, it. They'll what, say what? that the $6 billion went into a, into a, little, uh, a little coffee cup labeled yep. you know, humanitarian aid. But what the Iranians are doing is taking $6 billion out of that coffee pot and putting in another one that says aiding terror. It's simple as that. It's fungible. It's accounting. This is not high theory. It's accounting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's coffee pots, right? Empty, empty yeah. coffee cans. Uh, all right. One says schools. The other one says rockets. And, and they uh, put $6 billion in, and they, they can transfer it. And, and when I hear someone say, oh, but it hasn't moved yet, accounting doesn't work that way. It's an account receivable, and it's in cutter. It will arrive in Iran. They are banking. It's not even, it, I, with all due respect, it's not even the major point. What it is is saying that the United States is willing to pay to release hostages. And uh, if the West is willing to pay release hostages, and here we're talking about five hostages, what is the West willing to pay to release 100 and 130 hostages? And uh, some of these are Americans, as you know. Now, will and you anticipate so my next question? Of paying, off, of paying off, you know, paying off Iran and paying off its proxies. Can, can way, Israel afford? A couple of years ago, we paid up. We, we, we released a, over a thousand terrorists to get one Israeli captured soldier back. Gilad Shalit. Right. I know. And can it, can Israel afford, you anticipate it, can they afford to take into account, of course, they will try to get back the hostages, 
But can their military reprisals be frozen by them as Hamas apparently anticipates it will be? Well, they use their own people as human shields, Hamas. So now they're going to use our people as their human shields. And, uh, and the world you know, will condemn us as we move in there. This is, this is probably the hardest decision that any Israeli prime minister uh, could ever possibly make. On one hand, how can we uh, go back to the status quo ante? How can we you know, somehow negotiate our way out of this? Uh, how can we restore our deterrence power? which has been all but eliminated here. We're in a very perilous position. And uh, we have to restore that power, that, that deterrence power. There's only really one way of doing it now, isn't there? And that's by going in there uh, on foot, not just in the air. And uh, once we do that, then the chances of a multi-front war become very, very real. I, I can't imagine that Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hamas, of Hezbollah, will sit in Beirut with a sipping his tea while Israel invades Gaza. I don't believe that Hamas in Judea and Samaria will sit quietly while Israel invades Gaza. And I'm not even sure that large segments of the radicalized Israeli Arab population will sit still either. They may have internal unrest, as we had in 2021, but on a much greater scale. Um, do you expect the government to expand today? I do. And uh, I've hoped for this for a long time. Uh, and now it's happening. Uh, they're bickering, of course. They should not be bickering. We've had two national unity governments in our past, one in 1967, when Menachem Begin uh, joined the Labor Prime Minister, Levi Eshkol, very effective in the national unity government. We had another one in 1984, when Shimon Peres joined Yitzhak Shamir to deal with the runaway inflation. We had 450% inflation. Um, so there's good precedents. They've always worked, these national unity governments. And, uh, and we need one now. Boy, do we need one now. I thought we needed one before this crisis, remember. Uh, I thought we needed one to, to deal with the, the, reform, the judicial reform crisis. Uh, that looks like a picnic compared to this. And uh, I am wondering about the Israeli citizenry. Winston Churchill said on the uh, eve of 1914, because Ireland consumed the United Kingdom at that time, they said at the touch, the moment, uh, I want to quote it, they do not know that at a touch of external difficulties or menace, all of these fierce controversies over, uh, should disappear for the time being, and we should all be brought into line and into tune. Is that going on in Israel right now? I think so. I think Israel is already for national unity. I will be right back with Dr. Michael Oren from Israel. I'm glad to have his calm and experienced voice this morning. We're going to want to talk about how long and, and how, I mean, it's going to be a horrific war. It's already begun. It began with the massacre on Saturday. A 9-11 for Israel, a second 9-11 for the West. And everyone's got to be aware that, that the hammer, the iron sword that is coming is just. And I'll be right back with Dr. Michael Lawrence. Don't go anywhere, America. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Michael Lawrence is my guest, former ambassador of Israel to the United States. Michael, uh, can you just tell us the mood in Israel? I mean, I know what 9-11 was like in the United States. What is it like in Israel today? Grim, depressed, and determined. So how long does it require to mobilize the reserves and deploy for either an invasion of, of Gaza? And I don't rule out preemptive strikes against Hezbollah or other enemies of the state. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Uh, not that very long. I mean, Israel relies on the 24-hour mobilization schedule for its reserves. Um, everybody I know who's eligible to be called up has been called up including my, my two colleagues that are people who helped me, uh, have been called up and they're, they're out, they're out on the line already, uh, fully and, geared up. Um, so I want, I, I want the world to know we're, we're at a tripwire. I know you're going into Gaza because you have to, this, this cannot go unanswered or unpunished or, and the retribution should be horrible to witness and it will be civilized though. You will do the best to minimize civilian casualty. What do you think are the odds of preemptively striking Hezbollah and their rocketry and other sites that may be of danger to Israel? I wouldn't give it a high mark. Um, I think that we'll be ready for when Hamas fires the first shot. You know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Lincoln waiting for the Confederates to fire the first shot at uh, Fort Sumter. We want them to fire first. We know where their rockets are. They're, They're located under 200 villages in southern Lebanon. Uh, rockets are inside the house. I actually brought uh, aerial photographs of these houses to the White House. Um, they weren't pleased with them. Uh, it's a family rocket. They, the, the, the roof opens up in the living room and the rocket goes out. Uh, Hezbollah keeps the families in there because they want them to get killed by us so they can brand us as war criminals. Um, in the previous war, in 2006, they actually prevented civilians from leaving the battle areas because they wanted them to get killed. Uh, so we're going to have to be fighting on multiple fronts, not just geographically, but also diplomatically and legally. So who bears the blame for the intelligence failure there? I don't know if you'll have a 9-11 commission like we did, and we found things like the wall that separated the Department of Justice and the FBI from the Central Intelligence Agency. We found all sorts of crazy stuff, but we had a commission. This is not the time to do that. But how do you find out what happened? Oh, well, will. After the 1973 Yom Kippur War, there was the Agronaut Commission. After the 2006 war in Lebanon, there was the Winograd Commission. Uh, and in both cases, I, to say it frankly, heads rolled. Um, I don't know how many heads rolled after Pearl Harbor or 9-11, but in Israel, heads do roll. Um, after 2006, the chief of staff was forced to resign. The government failed after, 2000, after 1973 war. The, uh, the chief of staff resigned. The head of intelligence resigned. I, I, there, there will be uh, blame apportioned and responsibility taken. Now, there are reports in American media, and I do not know if they're true, of weapons that America abandoned in Afghanistan being used by Hamas. Any truth to that? Weapons that America abandoned in Libya are being used by Hamas. Our helicopters don't fly over Gaza because they have the shoulder-fired rockets, American shoulder-fired rockets that were left in Libya when Gaddafi fell. By the way, it took <laughs> less than a few days to get from Libya to Gaza. That's how fast these weapons travel. So uh, the answer to that is, is probably yes, that these weapons have found their way into, into Gaza as well. Um, 
And you know, they, I don't think that the Hamas has a shortage of weaponry. I mean, they don't have tanks, they don't have planes, but as you see, they can inflict punishing damage. Without that, just like uh, 19 terrorists could take over two airplanes and kill 3,000 Americans, uh, you know, a country with you know, thousands of nuclear weapons. So it, 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 the asymmetry doesn't necessarily mean that, that it doesn't necessarily de- derogate from the lethality, what I want to say. Uh, they can be very lethal just with handguns and grenades. The IDF has resecured southern Israel and around Gaza. Are you still worried that there are sleeper cells in other areas and that the attempt to cite a new intifada goes on? There was an attack this morning at Jacob's tomb. Uh, yes, and we have to assume that. It's not just that. We, the, the Army has not declared uh, areas that were penetrated by the terrorists, have not declared them terrorist-free. Just they, under control. They penetrated 22 different localities. Ha, Michael, last take, question. Just they take between two and three days. Did they all come through the fence, or were there tunnels that were undetected? There apparently is at least one tunnel that was undetected, um, um, one of which were uh, just the last night. Um, some 70 terrorists came out near Kibbutz Berry. Most of them were killed, but through a tunnel. Uh, the terrorists came through hang gliders. They came through uh, to the ocean on Zodiac-type craft. Uh, it was uh, multi-pronged, well-timed, well-coordinated, all of which, all of which points to Iranian involvement. And, of course uh, it does, and secret. It's and about secret. time we stop hitting the, the tail of the snake and start hitting the head. And, and that head, by the way. Hypothetically, yeah, probably, please go on. Well, the head is connected to Beijing and Moscow as well. I don't know if Israelis are recognizing that yet. There's one snake with three heads and lots of fangs. Wow. You know, I, last night on the news, I said, uh, you know, they asked me whether it was good that the, that the Sixth Fleet has moved to Lebanese coast. I said it'd be better if the Fifth Fleet moved to the Iranian coast. Amen. Michael, we will talk to you Amen. again. I'm, you're doing yeoman's you work all. and Thank explaining. Thank you for being there with us, as always. Uh, well, come back early and often. Prayers for everyone in Israel. and Thank you. I'm going to talk to Yoni next, America. First time I ever talked to Yoni was during a Gaza incursion. Oh, my gosh, 20 years ago. And he's called in since then. I've met him. I know him. A veteran of the Israeli border police. And he knows of which he speaks. And, and friends and family are involved in this. And we will talk to him when we return to hour number two of the Hugh Hewitt Show. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. On the Monday after the savagery of Saturday, I asked Yoni to join me. For those of you who are new to the show or a new affiliate, Yoni and I first connected in the course of one battle in Gaza more than 15, it could be 20 years ago. Yoni had been a member of the Israeli border police and had served as well in Lebanon and Gaza and schooled me, and I greatly appreciated it. We have subsequently met. We've become friends. We know each other. Dwayne and Yoni talk often. He joins me. I don't know where he is today. Where, you know, sometimes he's in South America. Sometimes he's in the Caribbean. Sometimes he's in America. Sometimes he's in Israel. Good morning, Yoni. My my condolences, I'm sure. Like Dr. Oren, you have family, friends, and colleagues involved in the massacres. As of right now, I've got two dead cousins. One fell in combat. The other one fell at his front door protecting his family. He was murdered. His wife and kids got away. In addition to that, I've got one more that uh, is a member of the top anti-terror unit in Israel. He was wounded. We don't even know how badly yet. Um, and we've got a kid from my Moshev who, when he was a child, 
was a real pain in the rear. He was on the Kita Kononut, the rapid deployment force of Kibbutz uh, Kfar Aza, which is right on the border. We don't know if he's a prisoner in Gaza or if he's dead. I pray he's dead. Now, go ahead. ahead. They went door to door in Moshavim and Kibbutzim in the south. Small little communities, not unlike mine. They went Saturday morning door to door and they murdered whole families. There are still Jewish bodies laying in homes that haven't been recovered yet, laying on streets that haven't been covered, recovered yet. This is a disaster. It's the darkest day in modern Israeli history. Now, Yoni, what do you expect in terms of uh, a battle? I know Gaza will be invaded. The forces are massing. And I don't know what happens in the north or places not on Israel's border, but I believe Iran was behind this. Do you? Iran, contrary to what the Wall Street Journal said, that this has been planned for weeks. That's not true. This has been planned for over a year. We know that from terrorists that were captured, and they said they've been working on this for over a year. Uh, I've been in contact with with friends of mine, so it's firsthand information. Um, Iran has to pay a price. Iran has to pay a horrible price. It should fall on the United States of America, being the leader of the free world, to take that butcher's bill to Tehran, but they won't do it. I hope Bibi does, because if we don't, it's only going to embolden Iran and their proxies. This is a time to cry havoc and let wreak the dogs of war. What does that look like in terms of uh, troop strength and forces? By the way, I, I think Hezbollah is sitting up there waiting to unleash a missile barrage, unlike any Israel has ever seen. Do you think Iron Dome will protect the state of Israel? Iron Dome did not do a very good job uh, on Shabbat. It seems that they've learned some of the weaknesses that are inherent in Iron Dome and exploited them, because we had a lot more rocket hits in cities than what we've had in the past. Uh, I don't know what the percentages are. It's too early. It's just, you know, my phone started ringing Saturday morning. And I'm an Orthodox Jew. We don't answer the phone on, on Shabbat. My phone was blowing up. I've been on the phone since Saturday morning. Uh, and both with, with my children and, uh, and others. Uh, another friend of mine. Um, who lives in the South, was woke up by pounding at his front door. Like any normal person, he answered the door at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, with a pistol in his hand. And here's two terrorists with AK-47s coming in to murder him and his family. He was a Katsin in Golani, uh, an infantry unit. He was an officer in an infantry unit. And he killed the two terrorists. And saved his family. His wife is a school teacher, and she's a basket case because she watched children that she teaches carried into captivity into Gaza. Um, people that I talk to are 
one thing that is Israel is a, sort of a divided country. We're all Jews, but you know we have this divide between Ashkenazim and, and Mizrahim, the, the, the Middle East Jews. The South is full of Jews from the Middle East. We're paying the price. The Ashkenazim that built Tel Aviv and lived there, they are also paying a price. But we don't hear any of that. It's all gone. Nobody's talking about the Supreme Court. Nobody's talking about BB's corruption trial. Nobody's talking about anything. Everybody is saying, oh, my God. Everybody's in shock. Um, if somebody would have told me Friday that we would be looking at well over 1,000 dead by the time we count them all, and that's not counting the troops that are now going to be going into Gaza, this is this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. We may have multiple hundreds of people captive in Gaza. They you know, uh, Yoni, I don't know if you recall, I do, vividly, the first time you called the show. I asked, why not go into Gaza and clean this up? And you, you explained to me, it is the worst place on earth for urban warfare. Because it has Absolutely. been prepared for urban warfare for 50 years. Maybe yeah. 70 years. Maybe longer. Right. Maybe longer. Look, the, 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 here's the bottom line, and here's the question that must be asked at this point in time, and we have to come up with an answer. How do you live next door to savages? How do you live next door to people that make the Nazis look almost good? And I'm not diminishing what the Nazis did to us, but this is not one bit difference. They oh, no, it's, it's, it's like the death squads going in every occasion where they would line up Jews, shoot them and push them into a into a trench in Ukraine. It is a death squad that it is the yeah. same thing. How now, there are so, innocents in Gaza, but no, there they are no, intermixed. I'm going to disagree with you on that. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to present evidence to you. You've already presented that evidence. The women and children of Gaza, when they received our prisoners. The glee in their faces at the joy of being able to inflict untold damage to Jewish bodies and souls. There are no innocents in Gaza. Well, well, let me let me play Abraham to you. And you are a serious Torah scholar. I'm not walking with the Lord towards Sodom and Gomorrah. If I can find 20 people, will you spare the city? If I can find 15, 10, I don't know how far down he got, but he did a pretty good job. There have got to be some innocent people there. They're babies. But, what did, but I have a question. What did God do in the end in that conversation with Abraham Avinu? What did Hashem do in the end? He got he a few people out. He got a he few people out. The, he got a few people out, and Lot's wife turned around and was turned into the pillar of salt. But he destroyed the place. My question is, after what they did to us, what are we supposed to do with them? Because if we go in and we lose a whole bunch of our boys fighting and we reestablish calm because we've smacked them around enough that they're, they're punch drunk, how many years from now are we going to repeat this? What I, I, I really do don't know because the intelligence door? failure is so comprehensive. I, I just well, don't know. First of, first of all, the, the look, 
they learned from 20 years of the GWAT, the weaknesses of the West, okay? They're all old school right now. Nobody uses phones. They're hand-carried messages or verbal messages, how they get along. Um, Iran may have scored the biggest hit of their life because I've heard from multiple sources that the network of defense that we have in terms of electronic around Gaza, they hacked that and, and turned it off on Saturday morning is what my understanding is at this point in time. I don't know if that's true. That's just my understanding at this point in time. That's the only thing that can explain it to me. I mean, I missed the fuddle. Yoni, thank you. Uh, my condolences for your losses, which are real and many, and for the losses of every Israeli. It is uh, far beyond the scale proportionally of what happened to the United States on 9-11. Uh, it, it, it's 800 now. It will go above 1,000. I think Yoni is right. Let's stay in touch, Yoni. Thank you for the call. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Grim news from Fox News. At least nine Americans are dead in the Israeli uh, savage massacre of Israelis and others in Israel on Saturday. We don't know how many are hostage. I'm joined by Speaker Kevin McCarthy, longtime friend of mine and of the program. Good morning, Mr. Speaker. Great to have you back. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on in this uh how the whole world has changed over the weekend and just the horrific situation that we're in currently right now. I'm going to talk to you in a moment about the GOP caucus, but let you're a longtime friend of Israel. You've stood by Israel forever. What ought the United States to be doing right now on its behalf? There are a number of things, and you're right. I, I've spoken to a number of people in Israel, from the speaker and others that are personal friends. And the, President Herzog just had called me last week prior to this. A number of things. The first thing we need to do is show a clear support for Israel long term. Secondly, we should support our, and they're going to need this, with the number of hostages that were taken. We should build our own individuals from the hostage situation to help them in this endeavor. Americans are taken as well. We have the right to do it. We should take this from a very clear perspective. Hamas has to be destroyed, but this is not just Hamas. This is directly tied to Iran. We have to change our posture with Iran. No longer appeasement. This goes into every affiliate that Iran supports. We have to change our demeanor and posture when it comes to sanctions to Iran. We should not enhance Iran to produce more petroleum. We should look at our own domestic ability to produce petroleum and not let Iran continue to grow. We've got to make sure again, that Israel has the sophisticated ammunition they need to carry out, not a short term, but a long term, that Hamas has to fully be destroyed. Then we have to take the example of what just happened here and think to our own intelligence. What do we have along our border? What cells do we have allowed to come in here? The number of people that we have caught on the terrorist watch list just in the month of February of this year, was more than the entire last administration. Even when you're looking at California, I remember just looking at two coming from Yemen on different days. The last thing we have to do is we should call upon all the anti-Semitism growth around the world, but here in America itself, every president at every university has a responsibility to stand up of what is happening there. But that also goes for the halls of Congress. For the number of members of what they have said in the anti-Semitism, to have a Democrat leader that responds to no comment, that is not leadership. And this president 
needs to shift and change his appeasement policy into something much different. And he should speak to the nation while at the same time speaking to the world what it means to have a relationship with Israel and firmly standing behind them for the long term. Uh, Mr. Speaker, my wife is an alumni of Davis, and she just showed me a text message that went out to all alumni at Davis uh, that is at best equivocal. I mean, it's at worst standby Palestine. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to describe it. It was so bad. What has happened and what can the Congress do about this? You know, the Congress should start with its own <laughs> itself. I remember when Tlaib wanted to have an anti-Semitism um, meeting, I canceled the room. Um, you have 10 members of the Democratic Party that voted against funding for the Iron Dome, a defensive weapon to stop the rockets from coming in, and now they're being overwhelmed. You have individuals who speak of anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party now. Everybody should speak with one voice. But this is also within college campuses. This is why Congress should actually be acting on this, and it should be a five-part plan from our own ability to help, from our own ability to look at our uh, our own intelligence, for our own what's happening on our border, from our own energy production. But it starts with Iran. Iran is the individuals that are funding this. And it's not $6 billion, It's more like $60 billion. It is the allowing of them to sell oil on the market. It's the moving of the sanctions. It's the appeasement. When this administration shifted and started paying for hostages, more Americans are being taken. This is a correct direction of what this administration has done, and they need to reverse action now, and Congress should take the action if the administration is not. Well, right now, Mr. Speaker, Congress is paralyzed because, of course, eight Republicans joined with every Democrat to evict you from the Speaker's chair uh, last week. The Republicans meet tomorrow. If there is a deadlock, and I fear there might be, would you be willing to stand up and become the Speaker again? Look, the, the conference has to make that decision. I'm still a member. I'm going to continue to, to fight and act. I know what it means to have a strong America and a strong relationship with Israel. Every, from every term I've been in, I have led all the freshmen to Israel. My first trip as speaker was to Israel to speak at the Knesset at the 75th anniversary of the creation of Israel. Um, we need to not part in any way and show no weakness here. And we've got to understand that this is not an interaction like they've had before. This is something that hasn't happened in 50 years. And we have to understand as Americans, and I've got to give you a lot of credit because you have always talked about foreign policy. But even on your tweets, what this means to America, what happened in Israel, when there are 700 Israelis going to 800 who were murdered, that is equivalent of almost 30,000 of Americans if you take the size. And America has to understand what's going on. This is not a time for what's happening in our, our colleges. This is a time for strength. This is a time to stand together. This is a time for assistance. Um, and this is a time for Congress to speak as one voice. Not to so I, I want to come back and, and press you a little bit. We're wrong. Yeah. Mr. Let, me, let me go back, Mr. Speaker, because I do fear a deadlock, because I know that there are uh, hundreds of Kevin It was eight Republicans brought you down. I don't know if they can change their mind, but I don't think we're going to get to uh, a speaker other than Kevin McCarthy this week. And we can't not have a speaker right now. Would you be willing to go back if those eight retreated? Look, whatever. 
whatever the conference wants, I will do. I think we need to be strong. I think we need to be united. Uh, the eight, uh, in my view, don't look to be that it was a personal thing. It wasn't about where we were going. Think for one moment. If, if you take some of their comments of why they did this, because I kept the government open, could you imagine they're the ones that stopped appropriation bills from going forward. They're the ones who voted against the continuing resolution that secured our border and cut spending. They're the ones who wanted a government shutdown. We wouldn't be paying our troops while we're put, putting out a, a, a carrier strike fighter there. Our 30,000 American men and women in our armed services in the Middle East wouldn't be being paid right now. I mean, wh what weakness would we be at? Well, I know one thing, Mr. Speaker, yeah. if we had shut down the government, we would be blamed for the intelligence failure that led to this massacre. We did not shut down the government. We still had an intelligence failure. But if we had, you would be blamed for the intelligence failure. Yeah. So don't just look to the eight. Also, remember what the Democrats did. The Democrats made the same political decision that that Matt Gates and Mace did. This is a Gates, Mace, Hakeem Pelosi decision. They thought, let's pick politics over the best what's for America, right? They think, take Kevin off the playing field so they could try to win a majority. Instead of wondering what the rest of the world's going to look at and wondering whether the government should stay funding again. That is the difficulty that we have in Washington. It's the moment in time for adults in the room to show leadership, put partisanship aside, and do what is best for this nation. And I will never back away from my decision. I put America first, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. Mr. Speaker, uh, Matt Gates, we don't have to spend any time on. I think he escaped from the Wuhan lab with the virus. But Nancy Mace, <laughs> I want to talk about Nancy Mace because... You got her elected. I had her on this show. I have the tape. I have the receipts of her thanking you profusely for getting her elected. What was that all about? I'm not sure. I spent more than $6 million, supported her in the primary, supported her in the background, supported her when Trump went away. He says I didn't keep my promise. He talked to our chief of staff, which I called, sorry to do with her. He said I kept every single promise. If you look at the last bill we voted on, it was her bill. If you look at her rape kit bill, it was passed. She said, well, I didn't bring a balanced budget up. She didn't introduce it till September 17th, 18th. We're sitting in October. So, I mean, I don't quite understand. It, it might be the same driven that they just want attention. They've got to stop that. The attention has to be on the American citizens, not on their own person. Now, Mr. Speaker, two of the people who, who started the ball rolling are Dan Bishop and Ralph Norman. They backed away because they knew it was insane to throw you out. But I still blame them. I counted as a gang of 10. Are you being more generous to them than you are to the other eight? <laughs> Look, I, I, I know the world in which I serve and live. I just wish they would find the damage. This is the only place conservatives have a majority. And we have a small majority, a five-seat majority. But look how much we accomplished in a short time frame. You want to look to the Senate? When they did a debt ceiling, we had the largest cut in American history. We also got work requirements. We also got NEPA reform for the first time in 40 years. We've been doing appropriations, which they haven't had the, done in the past. We had the Parents' Bill of Rights. We passed the bill to make us energy independent. We passed the most conservative border security bill in the history. We, we increased funding for the military at the same time that we cut the spending. I mean, and then every step of the way, this little gang would stop appropriation bills for coming and then say, I didn't do the job. Well, it's all 218 that has to do it. This is the plan that they had from the beginning. 
um, unfortunately. And I think as a, as a nation, we need to come above this because we're watching what's happening around the world and it's different today than it was before. Uh, Mr. Speaker, can you tell people, we've got a, a minute left, what you would have been doing this weekend as the one of the Gang of Eight had you not been removed last week? What what would have been different? Because we don't have we don't have a Republican speaker. We don't have a speaker. And so no, they can't go to the meetings. What would you have been doing? Look, we, we would have got more of the intel. I, I've still been able to call from those who serve in the Knesset, the speaker, the uh, ambassador and others. But what we would be doing in Congress today, we would first start with a resolution to show to show the world that we're united, calling around to other world leaders to join on. We would be looking at our own intel and our own border. We would be going through and making sure that any any high-tech ammunition that uh, Israel needs and any resources for Iron Dome and others, we would pass that to make sure we'd be able to go. We'd look at our own domestic ability for energy to make sure Iran. We'd look at sanctions against Iran at the same time to send a really clear message that even if the Secretary of State says, well, he doesn't have any clear evidence, Iran says they've done it. Hamas says they've done it. Um, so you've got to look to Iran to do it. And then we would start with the basis of going after any anti-Semitism that is happening, not just in our college campuses, but directly in Congress itself as well. Mr. Speaker, thank you for joining me. I'm glad to know that if they say, uh, Kevin, will you come back? You'll say yes. And I appreciate your willingness to do that. That would that takes a large soul person. And I appreciate everything you've done. And I think we'll continue to do in the in the Congress. Thank you, Leader, uh, Speaker McCarthy. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I'll go. I'll be right back, America. That's pretty big news. I'll talk to you about it after the break. Stay tuned. America, I'm Hugh Hewitt. On the 48 hours after the massacre in Israel began, I am joined by Senator Tom Cotton, longtime friend of the program and, of course, of Israel. Senator Cotton, your your reaction first to the massacre on Saturday, which applied to American equivalency would be more than 25,000 Americans. We're up. We're going to we're over 800. We're going to hit a thousand dead in Israel. It's just astonishing. I'm afraid so, Hugh. Um, I'm afraid so. Uh, and on behalf of all our candidates, I extend my deepest condolences and sympathies to all those families uh, who have lost loved ones or had loved ones wounded. Um, and uh, as all those families of foreigners who are visiting Israel, to include apparently some Americans uh, who were killed or wounded or taken hostage in this massacre uh, by Hamas that was planned and approved by, uh, by Iran. Um, now the goal has to be simple, single-minded, which is the destruction of Hamas, not just as a terrorist organization, but as a governing and social entity. Uh, Senator, that's going to happen in Gaza. You referred to the Wall Street Journal reporting, which Dr. Oren confirmed and others have confirmed, everyone except Tony Blinken, because to be weak is a requirement of the Biden administration, that Iran planned this. Um, have you had an intelligence committee briefing on this yet? No, we haven't, Hugh. The Senate is currently out of session, um, but I, I don't know what Tony Blinken and Joe Biden need. I mean, do they actually need video of Ayatollah Khamenei meeting with Hamas leaders telling them that they have the green light? I mean, Hamas is saying it, Hezbollah is saying it, Iran is saying it, Israel is saying it, and everyone knows that Hamas is a proxy wouldn't even exist if it weren't for Iran. Um, I think the reason why Joe Biden and Tony Blinken, the Biden administration, is sticking their head in the sand, insisting there's no clear evidence that Iran's helped to plan and direct this attack 
and certainly approved of the attack, is it would be indictment of the folly of their Iran policy going back for nearly three years now of appeasements and concessions that signaled to Iran and Hamas that uh, they could get away with this and that the United States would not take the necessary steps to defend not only Israel, but to defend itself uh, after more than 80 unanswered attacks on American troops uh, in the Middle East by Iran and its proxies. Let me play for you, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, two weeks ago, cut number four. And what we said is we want to depressurize, de-escalate, and ultimately integrate the Middle East region. The war in Yemen is in its 19 month of truce. For now, the Iranian attacks against U.S. forces have stopped. Our presence in Iraq is stable. I emphasize for now because all of that can change. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Uh, Senator Cotton, how do you respond to that level of naivete and intelligence failure two weeks ago? Well, again, it's the Biden administration and and its high command wishing uh, into existence something that, of course, is not in existence. Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, all are committed to destruction of Israel and ultimately the destruction of America uh, and the American order throughout the world as well. Um, the Biden administration continues the folly of the Obama administration policy, for instance, not responding to attacks against American troops in the Middle East, giving them $6 billion and then getting all chesty over the weekend like, this money couldn't possibly have been used in an attack because it's only for humanitarian purposes and it hasn't even been dispersed. Well, that may be the case, Hugh, but if a family in Arkansas is struggling to buy groceries and worry about Christmas presents and they win the raffle at a football booster club event or a $500 gift card at the grocery club, well, now they can buy Christmas presents. They're not going to use the gift card for it, but money is fungible. So it's the dumbest line that the administration uses and the media parrots back that this money couldn't have been used to support Hamas. Of course, money is fungible. If you free up $6 billion to Iran for Iran to use on food and medicine, all the money that they were going to use on food and medicine can be used to support Hamas and to kill Israelis. Um, that's why the administration is continuing to stick its head in sand right now and continue even to suggest things that, like, this should, again, be a small operation. Like, you hear a lot of language along the lines of, well, we're going to get help Israel defend itself. This is not about helping Israel defend itself. This is about helping Israel destroy Hamas. And once the administration finally admits the rally everyone sees that Americans have been killed and taken hostage in an attack that was approved and planned by Iran, what is Joe Biden going to do about it? Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan in 1986 bombed Libya for much less. He sank in 1988, Ronald Reagan sank half of Iran's Navy for much less. What is what is Joe Biden going to do after Iran has indirectly planned and approved attacks that killed Americans and resulted in being taken hostage? Uh, Senator, you are an intel, and so you can't tell us a lot. But this is a massive intelligence failure, not just by the Israelis, but it's on par with 9-11 when we had the wall between the FBI and the CIA and we did not see what was coming. This is as bad as that. Uh, and maybe worse, because we're allegedly getting along well with Iran and getting along well with Hezbollah. And Jake Sullivan says it's so peaceful. How could we have been so blind to this? Well, you, you're right. There was an intelligence failure both in Israel and here. I think in, for Israel's sake, uh, we should not be looking through the rearview mirror. We should be looking at the windshield at what's ahead or, or maybe more appropriately, if I can use a different analogy, we should be looking down the gun sight 
and putting it on Hamas and on Iran. So there'll be time for Israel to assess what happened after the destruction of Hamas. But, but here in the United States, where the threat is not as immediate, uh, I think our intelligence uh, agencies do need to answer some serious questions about how they could have missed this as well. And is it because uh, the administration is too focused on its own policy priorities in the Middle East rather than seeing things clearly and as they are. I do want to make one point, though, that uh, you compare this to 9-11, and I have heard many other people compare it to 9-11 or call it Israel's 9-11. I think a more apt analogy is Pearl Harbor. 9-11 was a strike, a singular strike, by a terrorist group, al-Qaeda, of monumental proportion. Hamas is more than a terrorist group, though. Hamas purports to perform the functions of a government for Gaza. Gaza is, for instance, larger than Grenada, and it's got two million people. And again, just like Ronald Reagan did in 1983 when he invaded Grenada and toppled a bloodthirsty communist regime, that's exactly what Israel has to do now against Hamas. And that's what Israel has said they're going to do against Hamas. And that's what the United States has to support Israel in doing. We've been down this road before where Israel has to undertake necessary military action. And Democrats like Joe Biden say, oh, I've got Israel's back. And in four or seven or 10 or 14 days, when Hamas starts parading out dead bodies staged for CNN and Al Jazeera, Democrats go wobbly and start demanding call, demanding ceasefires and calls for restraint, proportionality. There can be no proportionality here, Hugh. What we did to Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany after Pearl Harbor is exactly what Israel has to do to Hamas. Now, I'm glad you brought up um, Pearl Harbor. I also want to ask you, there are very few members of Congress. I have another one coming on, Mike Waltz, who have led platoons in combat situations. I know you have led a platoon in Baghdad during the surge. You have some idea of the complexity of what confronts the IDF in Gaza. How hard is it in an urban environment that has been prepared to kill uh, the IDF for 75 years? Well, Hugh, it's incredibly complex. It's more complex than what we face in Baghdad because Gaza is so much denser and has so much more of a built-up environment. Uh, But the IDF has been training for these missions and in some ways conducting them on smaller scales for 75 years as well. So I have every faith that Israeli defense forces will be able to accomplish their mission. There are also going to be many civilian casualties, Hugh, and that's because Hamas cites its mortar teams and rocket teams in schools and mosques and hospitals. It has command and control centers in the basements of uh, high apartment buildings. And while Israel will do its best to minimize civilian casualties, uh, it is the fault of Hamas when those civilian casualties occur. And Israel is telling these civilians in Gaza now, you know exactly what's happening in the the playground at your apartment complex. You know exactly what's happening in the basement. If you want to save your life and save the life of your family, then get out now. Uh, The Ford and the Ford strike group is moving in the Mediterranean, and that's good. But we have not yet sent another strike group into the Persian Gulf. Ought we to? I think that that may be called for. Uh, Again, we want to see it if either Iran or Hezbollah takes uh, any actions to try to exploit uh, what's happening in southern Israel um, uh, against either uh, Israel in the north from Hezbollah or against our positions throughout the region. I do want to stress, though, that while it's, it's good to send that carrier group to the eastern Mediterranean, the United States should not simply engage in symbolic actions or or reassurance of Israel and our allies. 
we need to directly and concretely support Israel in providing it the extra munitions it needs, both to replenish its stockpiles as they dwindle in the days and weeks ahead, and as a deterrent against Hezbollah and Iran from launching further attack, or to provide extra mission planning or extra intelligence support. So it's nice as a symbolic action, but it has to be much more than just symbolism and reassurance with Israel. We have to provide them the concrete support they need to go into Gaza, to destroy Hamas, and to seek the only terms that are acceptable here, which is the unconditional surrender of Hamas and Gaza. Now, I have Speaker Emeritus McCarthy on next hour. I'm going to ask you, as an alumni of the House and as a senior Republican figure in the country, should the House get its act together tomorrow? I'd like them to put McCarthy back in, but I don't know about the knucklehead caucus, because then we would have some continuity. But... What should happen tomorrow in D.C. at the House Republican Caucus? Should they close ranks, figure out what they're going to do, and announce it on Wednesday morning or Tuesday night? Well, first, Hugh, I I regret that eight Republicans foolishly joined Democrats last week to remove Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Kevin McCarthy had done a very good job um, for not just Republicans, but for the House of Representatives. Um, I I won't insert myself into their internal deliberations. But I will say, whatever House Republicans decide in their course of action on the next speaker, I hope they can do so quickly and in a unified fashion. And you don't have the protracted struggle that we saw in January uh, when Kevin was first elected. My last question, Senator, it took support for the supply of Ukraine of arms is dwindling and uh, people still don't know what Beijing is. It's all one evil axis, Tehran, Beijing. Uh, uh, Moscow, Hamas, Hezbollah, North Korea. Do you think America is getting it finally? I think most normal Americans in places like Arkansas understand that the law of the playground is like the law of the jungle, is like the law of international politics. And the strong can survive and the strong can protect their freedom and protect their friends as well. Uh, but the weak will be preyed upon. And, and that's exactly what Joe Biden has done for three years is project weakness to countries like Iran and China and Russia. Senator Tom Cotton, thank you for joining me. Follow the senator on the site formerly known as Twitter, now X, at Sen Dom Co- Tom Cotton. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined now by Congressman Michael Waltz, Green Beret and member of Congress from Florida. Good morning, Congressman. Thank you for joining me on short notice. I asked Senator Cotton and you to come on today because you're two combat veterans. And what's going to happen in Gaza is going to be urban warfare. What should Americans expect in the next few weeks, months, and perhaps much longer? Well, Hugh, I I think the main thing is that uh, this isn't going to be over quickly. Uh, uh, Gaza, as I'm sure Senator Cotton uh, will say or has said as well, is one of the most densely populated places in the world. Uh, A lot of high-rise buildings, two million people uh, crammed in there, frankly. Uh, And the the thing that is going to make it so dangerous and difficult uh, is Hamas has spent years and years uh, building tunnel networks that will allow them to move undetected between different positions will allow them to pop up and hit the Israelis uh, and ambush them at times of their choosing. And the other piece that is going to be hugely complicating now uh, is their use of hostages as human shields. 
Uh, Hamas has a long history of using its civilians as human shields, uh, putting uh, the Israelis in very difficult positions. And then, of course, you know, once civilians are killed, then highlighting that in their propaganda on the international stage. But now it looks like it's going to be Israeli civilians and even international or American civilians uh, that they will deliberately put into areas that they know uh, the Israelis will want to target. So this is going to be a slog. Uh, and I share Senator Cotton's sentiment that the Biden administration can't get weak need, you know, uh, five days from now, a few weeks from now, uh, as this thing bogs down into a slugfest in Gaza, which is what I suspect it will. And once those images start coming out uh, and the UN gets shaky and the Europeans get shaky, we have to stand strong and remember that this was an unprovoked uh, assault on civilians that, that started this war. I've been calling it a slaughter and a massacre. Senator Cotton called it uh, Israel's Pearl Harbor. I know you've been to Israel. I know you know how the IDF operates with a great concern for limiting civilian casualties. But I expect this will be bloody. And I mean, really yes. bloody. Uh, at what level do you expect we will enter into concern over American hostages? I, I don't think we can tell Israel to look out for Americans. It's just not practical. No, it's not. And that, I mean, and that's why it's one of the reasons Hamas is doing this is to is to is to really confuse uh, and and to complicate uh, Israeli operations. I would expect uh, that uh, members of our, our most elite hostage rescue units, uh, both Delta and SEAL Team Six, uh, I would I would expect I don't know. I, I haven't been uh, briefed, but I would expect them to be on the ground to assist because that large number of hostages uh, is incredibly is incredibly difficult to deal with. And Hugh, one other thing that's going to be an issue in the very short term, uh, both Hamas and and Hezbollah's tactic. I visited the headquarters of Iron Dome uh, to understand uh, how the defensive network works. But their tactic is to overwhelm the system with dumb rockets and mortars uh, and and other types of dumb missiles, so that the batteries go dry so that literally the Iron Dome runs out of counter-battery missiles, then, has, and this is the other shoe I'm, wa I'm waiting for with Hezbollah, will follow up with precision-guided missiles that can start hitting Israeli critical infrastructure, the airport, perhaps even nuclear power plants, uh, and other uh, key critical nodes. Uh, and so we can't let the Iron Dome go dry, and I expect those military aid packages to be moving uh, today and tomorrow. Congressman, you're on House Intel. I want to get to two questions. Did our intelligence agencies fail as badly as Israel's did? And two, Kevin McCarthy's coming up, the Speaker Emeritus. Will the caucus get its act together quickly? Because we need a, uh, we need a representative from the House and the Gang of Eight. And what are you going to do about, as a member of oversight, on the intelligence failure that we have? Well, you know, I mean, right now is the, is the time for response and giving Israel, like, you know, supporting the Iron Dome, giving them everything they need uh, for that immediate response and standing strong with them if this bogs down into urban warfare. However, however, uh, Hugh, you're absolutely right. Uh, we have to unpack what happened here. The fact uh, that they were able to coordinate this uh, tactically and operationally in the way that they were leads me to believe that there was some type of encrypted communications provided. Uh, and they often also uh, are going kind of old school 
and using uh, couriers and other types of, of methodologies that we can't pick up. But I just can't understate this was a massive, massive intelligence failure on the Israeli part. Uh, I don't want to get into the level of intelligence sharing that we have, but we certainly need to be looking, taking a close look in the mirror at ourselves as well. Uh, at the end of the day, this is all about Iran. Uh, Hamas doesn't fire a BB gun or a squirt gun uh, in, uh, at Israel without Iran's blessing and green light. And for the administration to be spinning and obfuscating uh, when they know this is what it's all about uh, is, is really where we have to be focused. 15 seconds on the caucus, uh, Congressman Waltz. We've got Americans held hostage. We have to have a speaker. Will we have one by Wednesday? We have to get our heads out of our rear end, Hugh, uh, and, and get one by Wednesday. And whoever we vote for in secret and behind closed door is who everybody needs to get behind in public. Uh, enough is enough. Congressman Michael Waltz. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.